Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else who identifies in between. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. It is the episode before Halloween. Ooh. Oh, wow, that did not sound like a scary ghost at all. It sounded like a guy trying to be a ghost, but ended up looking like a guy who can't sing a thing. Wow, that did not go well. But don't worry, this is a great episode for tuning in. We have a great guest. Today's guest is comedian Brian Blanco. I've met Brian Blanco through the comedy circuit. Uh, he was around when I first started out, and then uh, he went uh, missing for a while. Then he started coming back, and I, I found out what happened. And it turns out that he had a, a good time elsewhere and then came back. So stay tuned for that conversation. Before we get there, we do have another uh, movie review with the one and only Jacob Wheels, the best film critic in San Jose. And he went over to go see a Halloween-themed film, which uh, which was not what I expected. But uh, overall, it looks like he had an inter- interesting time over there. Before we go over there, before we do anything, I need to remind you guys of one of a couple things, actually. Uh, one, you can't subscribe to the JMS Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. You can also follow the JMS Podcast on social media, on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, show me some love by, uh, by, yeah, by following in any of those forms. That'd be great. You can also subscribe to the email list. Uh, you can go to the jmspodcast.com website and on the bottom you could uh, put your email and you'll get monthly emails from me about you know highlights and such like that. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, and since you're already there, since you're already at the jmspodcast.com website, please check out the other contents available. And uh, if you ever get a chance, please donate to the JMS Podcast on Patreon. There's different payment plans, different pledges, uh, and there's rewards. Uh, for all, for anybody in any budget. So check that out. JMS Podcast on Patreon. All right, let's go straight to the movie review with Jacob Wheels. Welcome back to another Wheels on Reels. Here with the uh, famous, world famous, best film critic in San Jose, California, Jacob Wheels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a special Halloween movie review why episode. You, why did you just introduce me like I was a boxer coming out on stage? I don't know. I uh, kind of felt like it. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to get people excited for this. I'm excited. Can you hear my voice? Well, I'm very excited because okay. my favorite season is the fall. Mm. And one of the reasons why it's I my favorite season is because this is where a lot of Oscar-worthy uh, films come out. Oh, I thought so, you were... No, yeah, I... So I'm like, I'm like, all right, man, Chicka Wheels is going to go review a, a great Oscar-worthy oh, movie. Yeah. So what movie did you go see? I went to see Boo 2, A Medea Halloween. What? <laughs> Boo 2, come on, man, the new Tyler Perry movie. Get on it. Wow. Get on it. Dude, you got me all excited. I was like, oh my god. Fuck movies, man. It's Halloween. Ugh, it's I, Halloween time. I guess you're right. All right. Medea 2. Medea. I can't get the title right. It's Medea. It, it, it is Boo 2, a Medea Halloween. Yeah. And uh, this is the latest film from Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. And maybe. his long running, uh, I guess, film 
anthology of the of the Medea, the Medea series adventures the, the Medea cinematic universe <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually a sequel right because last is, yeah. last Halloween he uh, did the first one yeah. Boo, Boo in Medea Halloween yeah. and now we have Boo 2 Boo 2 oh look at the originality on that dude oh my yeah, god nice. I'm sure they're proud of themselves how original that's a good name uh, that's a good sequel name right yeah. there Boo, Boo 2 too. another Medea Halloween okay if you're confused as to what this movie is about guess what it's about Medea yeah it's about Halloween uh huh and uh, it's about 2 it's the, sec- it's the second one. It's the second one. It's the second one. That's ha- easy. Have you seen the first one? I have not. Well, the first one, as ridiculous as it was, it did get somewhat of a small cult following. Did it? Yes, because it was known for like very, uh, almost the room style kind of like, it's so bad it's good mm-hmm. performances from the actors. Yes. Hmm. And, uh, and I guess that's where they're trying to do again this time around. <laughs> So it's not even okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So what? Uh, tell us what this movie's about and uh, how'd it go. All right, check this out. So it's about Tyler Perry probably playing the role of Tyler Perry, uh, and his daughter wants to go to this. This his daughter, this like skanky hoe. Like I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. She's a skank, right? She turns 18. She's like, I'm gonna go party. I'm gonna go to the. I'm gonna go to the fraternity and like hang out with a bunch of dudes. Now you may be thinking that. What's so skanky about that? Well, okay. Well, the way she's. I mean. I, I'm not an actor. I can't pron- I can't like act like a skanky hoe, but it's like very skanky in the, in in the, in the movie. Okay. Well, she's like, I'm 18. Like, I'm gonna go to this fraternity and like bang all these dudes. And then she's like going in. She's like, I'm 18 now, cause like it starts off. She's oh, today's her birthday. Today's her birthday. I'm 18, and you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take my car that I just bought from my mom just bought me, and I'm gonna go to the fraternity and go to the club. That or go like, to the party. That sounds like a strong, independent woman making those choices. Yeah, but herself. it's not. Pl- it's not played. It sounds like she's empowering herself here. It's uh, if if empowering yourself means that you're you're going to be a stereotype of an uppity ass teenager, then yes, then I guess it is, Jorge. So it's about his daughter. Well, it's about yeah. So it's about like it's about his daughter, and it's like okay, this is the thing with kind of uh, a Tyler Perry Medea movies. It's that, like, you think it's going to be, like, 100% Medea, at least 80% Medea, but then they, like, flip the squid, the flip the, flip the squid, flip the squid, yeah. which is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I'm flipping the script by flipping the squid. Uh-huh. And it's, like, it's, like, really 50% Medea, 50% this beef plot, you know what I mean? Okay. Because I've seen other Medea movies, and, uh-huh. like, it's, like, oh, yeah, it's, like, Medea goes to jail, and it's, like... 50% of it is Medea doing her Medea thing, you know, driving cars illegally and shooting up people and threatening people's lives. And then half of it's like, oh, man, I got these real family issues, you know. I, I my, my wife left me and she's a coke addict, you know what I mean? Like so these real problems. It's like a dramatic comedy. Yes. Got Not it. this one, though. Not this one. So this one's like, it's supposed to be played up for like laughs and like, but it's just like, oof, oof. You know the scariest thing about this uh, movie, Jorge? What is it? I had to pay like 13 bucks to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, where, where did you go see this film? Uh, I don't know. Did you see it on that. IMAX or something? That, no, I went to the theater with the IMAX in it. Okay. In Dublin. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't... Uh, still, I paid like 11 bucks. That's still a lot. So it was not a, a, a scary film necessarily? It wasn't scary. Like, the, 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 the trailer is super misleading. You think it's going to be this like... I mean, honestly, when I saw the trailer, I thought it was going to be, like, a meta commentary on on horror movies, 
with Medea in it, and I was like, that sounds like the best. But I guess Tyler Perry's not playing that card because it's just like girl, girl wanted to be independent, like you said, and then Medea comes to save her, mm-hmm. and it's like this this kooky. I'm at a lake, and there's the ring girl, and then there's these guys with chainsaws chasing everyone around. <laughs> so it looks like the trailer is promising us a good time. Did you have a good time? You know what? Regardless of how much I'm gonna complain about this, especially to my friends, like I I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Like I it was funny in times. It lacked a lot of stuff like jokes. Um, so it wasn't funny. It, so they had really good ideas, but it's just like a lot of the jokes are like someone does something, they repeat that same something, then they repeat it again, and then Medea makes fun of someone. You know what I mean? So they drive a joke to the ground. Pretty much. And the joke isn't even that funny, too. It's it's a joke that's on the ground already, and oh. they just fucking boom, boom. That's a jackhammer. <laughs> they're trying to or it's a hammer or some kind of hitting device, and they're hitting into the ground anymore. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, let's do this. Uh, let us let me play you a scene that I'm going to make up for a Tyler Perry movie. Okay. Uh, Man, why? You, you bald. And then you'd be like, I'm bald? And she'd be like, yeah, you bald. I just created a scene. Okay, except that goes on for like five minutes. Yeah, I would have appreciated that. There's, yeah, there's five minutes of that. Just like, you do this, I do that. You should be this way. And then I'm an old grumpy black guy who used to be a pamp, you know? Like, it's that kind of humor. And it's just like, this movie would be like, I don't know, 20 minutes shorter if you cut those jokes in half uh-huh. and just let them die. You know what I mean? And then just go on to the next one. Say one joke, go on to the next one. But no, it's long fucking scenes. And honestly, they didn't even get to the Halloween part until like, I don't know, 30 minutes into the movie. Like, you know, you've seen horror movies, I'm, I'm guessing, right? Once in a while. So, the, like, the, classic The, the ones that I don't mention that I'm bald, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Good horror movies mention that you're bald. They they point out your your Jesus. flaws in life. Half the women I date mention I'm bald. Right? Well, then you I might, don't need a horror film to tell me as well. You okay? might be. In I don't a need to movie. be reminded every time I go see a movie. Look, that Jorge, I'm bald. calm down. That's not the point. You're bald. Okay, so the point is, in classic horror movies, uh-huh. there's this thing that they do where it's like the first thirty minutes is dedicated to character development, right? right. Yeah, make you give a shit for this yeah. person who is about to go in this horror horrifying journey yeah but like the first 30 minutes is hey i'm Medea and i'm joe i'm the black brother guy and it's like tyler perry being a dork and it's just like oh like there's no character de- all the character development is just borderline it's just baseline character uh, uh caricatures of things you know what i mean like i'm 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 a i'm a growing independent woman and i'm the uh, and i'm i'm her friend who doesn't want to go to the park because they're fucking shit people died you know are you and okay? It, you think you're going to have a stroke. I might have a stroke. <laughs> I can't handle this. I, I can't ever make an impression or you're having a stroke. Anyways, and then there's a... Yeah, and then there's guys who are like, I'm a... I'm a... I'm a... I'm in a fraternity. I'm going to bang you. You know? Look, they call me a horse. You know? It's that's, just like... Oh, like, That's God. like sexually harassment right it's there. It's this... I mean, this, this... This movie is... This borderline hilarity... Let's have sex jokes. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you're not really enjoying the story. You're not enjoying the characters. You're not enjoying the direction. No. Uh, does it at least look good? How's the cinematography? It's fine. You know what? So that's the thing. They have like these really good sets. You know what I mean? There's a sand. So the whole the, the, there's this party, right? If you haven't seen the first one, so the first one is 
there's this frat party it's at the fraternity and then hijinks happens and then they get it shut down so then the next year which is this movie uh they're like look we can't have it at the fraternity so we're gonna go to this lake where people get murdered and they're like oh my god and everyone's like oh my god people getting murdered at this lake like you know and then like they have these like it's kind of cool because it's like this party with like tents set up and like a dj and people dressed as the village people and like a shark and like skanky you know unicorns it's like great and it looks cool but like they have the stupidest fucking crane shots like these unnecessarily long like drone shots just going up and it's just like well that's a stupid camera like, like showing uh, off like, yeah like like uh attracting attention to itself yeah it's just like come on man uh-huh. like uh, like then they just go on for too long like you see everything and it's like oh this is a cool shot and then they show you it again and then they look and show you it again and it's like oh god just it's fuck. almost as, as if Tyler Perry has like an OCD yeah, way of directing be. films yeah yeah it's it's just it's bonkers okay. it's just like it's it's annoying in a way but strangely, like, I'm not mad that I saw this. Like, I'm not... I'm a little frustrated. <laughs> well, what could usually save a film like this, especially a horror film, mm-hmm. is uh, depending with what kind of theater crowd you watch it with. You know, I've seen some horror films, which on the surface don't look very good, but because my theater-going experience was, was great, it was fun with the crowd laughing and having a good time, mm-hmm. I think sometimes I could save this movie experience. Uh, so did you watch it with a pretty good crowd that were uh, was, responsive yeah. to what, what was going on on screen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Jorge, this this movie is not for me. What do you mean by that? Who is it, it made for? It, not for me. Let's not paint myself into this corner. So who who is the <laughs> Tyler Perry audience that you're trying to say? Okay, here? let's just say the Tyler Perry audience is is people like who've grown up like Tyler Perry. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> oh damn it, uh, touche. <laughs> yeah. But so. Was there a big crowd that went to go a, see it, it with you? It was a good crowd. It was the first. It was the matinee. It was yeah. the first showing of the day, and it was an all right crowd. You know what I mean? Like there were, <laughs> there were Tyler Perry type people there. <laughs> it's so fun watching you try to dance around <laughs> the bush. <here. laughs> but yes, the crowd was good. Like there are some moments because like these, you know, they it, it attracts people who are kind of like the people. <laughs> Dude, it's no secret. Okay. Madea films are usually for African-American a, I'm going to say black. Sure. You can call it... I'm going to say black. Because I feel feel like people in Africa be like, oh, this, this, this is what movies are? Well, both terms are is politically correct. Yeah. So you could go black, you go African-American. Well, once you go black, you're watching a Tyler Perry movie. Oh, wow. Um, I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. It, 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 I never heard anyone say, hey, I'm black and a cinemaphile. I've never heard those two, you know, merged. Oh, careful there. I'm pretty sure there are. Hold on. I meant this. Let me reverse that. I never heard anyone say I'm a cinemaphile. I'm black, and I like Tyler Perry movies. Yeah, the third fact. That's I forgot that third one. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's why I messed up. You just I, saved yourself. From, yeah, thank uh, you. From uh, someone just calling you out on social media. I mean, of being a outright racist, self-hating Latino uh, Trump supporter. Look, Jorge, let me just tell you something. You can't be brown downtown. <laughs> Apparently not. You can't all right, be brown downtown. Go back to this film, though. Um. So it was a good theater-going experience for you. It was. It was all right. You know, people were, and there was like. And all Taylor Perry movies do this, all right? So the B story, in supposedly B story, which is really, I don't know if it's a B story because it's like 50% media, 50% this, is like Tyler Perry's character is divorced from his wife and his wife is like always one-upping him and she's a bitch. And, you know, like like Tyler Perry gets her daughter, his daughter headphones for, for her birthday and she gets him a car and the girl, the, the teenager daughter is like, I don't know, and there's just this big mess of like, Tyler Perry's kind of like a bitch character, you know what I mean? He's getting walked over by his ex-wife. 
And then, like, I don't know, there's this whole convoluted thing where it's like, Tyler Perry's doing this and stuff like that. Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. But, yeah, so the B story is, uh, A story? B story? Something story? Mm -hmm. Okay, Medea has to save the teenage daughter. They're driving in the car, arguing, doing the same jokes. You know, they run into the monsters, which I thought that was the funniest. I thought that was a funny part. You know what I mean? When Medea and and the 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 the, the dad or the brother and like the two black ladies were there, I thought those scenes were kind of funny. And they're interacting with monsters, like I ain't afraid of no monster. And then they get out, and she does a scary face, and she's like, "Oh hell no!" And then she goes back into the car, and they do the whole Medea thing. I thought that was great, uh-huh. but the whole movie wasn't that horny. Okay, it was this bullshit B story about these teenagers trying to bone. Uh-huh. Not even that. It's a Tyler Perry PG uh, version of that. Okay. Which I was like, dude, just scrap all that bullshit about Tyler Perry and his wife and the and the daughter. You know what I mean? Have the daughter there to have Medea go to this campsite where evil shit's going on. Mm-hmm. But like, don't like, just give me more Medea. I want more Medea. What's in the title? Yeah. But it, I guess Boo to Medea Halloween slash. Uh, Halloween party frat party from Mars party. There's no Mars twist. Mm, Spoiler okay. alert. Well, uh, it's uh, so. How, how would you rate this film? Do you recommend people to go see it? Mm, no. no, don't don't oh, do avoid it. this film. Avoid this film. Not okay. Uh, if you're like a, I don't even want to say masochistic because I didn't hate myself during this movie. I was just like, they're a long stretch. Okay, this is what you do. You take the movie, you you take the DVD, you rip the DVD onto your computer, cut out all those lame-ass jokes that they beat into the ground, you'll get like a 20-minute clip, they'll get a 20-minute clip of this movie, cut out all the bullshit, and like that, watch it that way. That's uh, quite a stretch for yeah. the average listener to do to well, enjoy this film. So, again, it's a shitty film, essentially. It's, it's, it's not completely shitty. Because I did sit there and enjoy it and laugh at some jokes. But, like, if you're expecting this, like... Okay, if you're me, who's a normal, non-Tyler Perry fan... Okay. Um, like, don't go watch this movie. But if you like the Medea series and you think they're the best thing ever... Yeah. Mm, go watch it. It's not too bad. Right. It's just, I wasn't... I didn't have high hopes because I looked at the tomato rating. Now, I know everyone hates Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. Uh-huh. Right? Real critics. Air quotes. Uh-huh. Real critics hate Rotten Tomatoes. So I was like, what's the Rotten Tomatoes score on this? Oh, 8%. I was like, I would give it like uh, probably 10% Rotten. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, uh, honestly, I shouldn't have done this because they said Medea Boo. First, Boo Medea was like 18% or 20%. Uh-huh. And I was like, I saw 8% for this. And I was like, mm, I'm not going to enjoy this. But I think the fact that I lowered my expectations so low, <laughs> I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more. All right. Awesome. Uh, I guess the only thing to do now is for you to maybe even dress up like Medea this Halloween. Mm, I lo- you know, I was thinking about doing... I love movie monsters, man. Like, I love movie monsters. You know, I've been working on my impressions. Yeah, and obviously. What? <laughs> no, no, not like that. But, like, my movie monster impressions. You know uh, what I mean? I so got to, so I, how are you dressing up this Halloween? Uh, I'm going to dress up as probably Frankenstein's monster. I've, I've been trying to get the voice down. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you for coming by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm glad I. I'm glad you made me watch this movie. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy your job. I'm glad I could watch these these Oscar worthy performances of one man. Okay, let me tell you. Let me go on a rant for a bit. I'm, okay. It takes a lot of work for one guy to do three different characters. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's dorky, I'm Tyler Perry. You uh-huh. know, I'm a dork. I don't know how to support my wife. That's yeah. not how it goes, but whatever. And then, you know, and then he has to play Medea, which is like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to, you know, you can't come over here. I'm going to beat your ass because you got smell of teeth. You know what I mean? And then he got he has to play the other character, which is like, I'm an old man. You know, that's not easy. So you, you respect Tyler Perry, Yeah, he can play three different characters, which are super hard to play. Yeah, and direct it and write it. And direct it and write it. And Jesus, reminds me of somebody. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, oh, I get it. <laughs> All right, guys, man. Have a good one. Happy Halloween, man. Happy Halloween. Did you see Boo 2 A Medea Halloween? If you have, please let us know what you think by emailing jmspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your opinion about it, and I'd love to hear what did you feel about the review by Jacob Wheels. He always appreciates feedback in any way uh, he can. All right, let's move on to our main conversation with the one and only Brian Blanco. Had a great talk with him. It's funny because at the end of the conversation, we're like, you know, this is the first time we really sat down and chatted because we've seen each other all over the place. But I guess we just kept it, you know, simple and, and business related. But now that we got to sit down, we really got to know each other. We, I think we both um, left the studio feeling pretty good about it. It's like, man, it's like this guy's really cool. And uh, it's great to know his backstory a bit and and really digest about certain things he thinks about in, in comedy. So, uh, yeah, so get ready for Brian Blanco. And uh, here we go. Yeah, man. I hope the drive wasn't too bad from San Ramon. Oh, it was fine. It was there was just a little bit of traffic. Uh, oh, I forget Mission Hill or whatever, but yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it's a weird corridor. Because you only got, what, 680 and 880 in that spot? Right. And so during rush hour, yeah, they all bottleneck each other. But, uh, yeah, I sat in that line. You know how you, like, sit in the line for a minute and you watch all the people cutting in and then finally I decided to bounce out and drive ahead a mile and cut the line and be that asshole. And that made it here just in time. Yeah, oh, is there traffic today? Um, just at that one spot. You Interesting. Know? Yeah, so. Because I figure Sundays, you know. Right. I, I try to plan these things on the weekends, you know, because I, I know sometimes uh, getting here could be an issue. Right, right. That's cool. And how long have you been living in San Ramon? Uh, let's see, three years. Three years? Yeah, and I'm about to move, so. Uh, what are you planning yeah. to move? Uh, it's undecided. Uh, I might uh, move back to Los Angeles, but I've been looking a lot at Austin, Texas, and Seattle. Moving back to L.A.? Is that where you're from originally? No, I did comedy down there for two years. Really? Yeah. And How was that was, experience? Like? It was the best two years of my life. Why I had is that? A great time. Uh, as a comedian, especially, I moved down there a year into comedy, so it was like uh, for someone that's brand new into comedy and really enthusiastic and excited, I got to watch the best comedians perform all the time, and uh, like uh, Bill Burr, you get to see him at the comedy store on a regular basis. So you were hanging out in that spot. A lot, yeah. 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 Mostly I was in the Inland Empire, which is just outside Los Angeles. It's uh, just past Pasadena, kind of. And uh, But yeah, you could go and see there's so many, all the most talented comics in the country 
right? Like you're making it in San Francisco. What do you do? You move to New York or Los Angeles. I say in the world almost. Right, right. So there's terrible comics in Los Angeles, just like here. Like there's, but there's also this level. So you go to open mics in LA and you look around and you see these actors slash comedians and you think, oh my God, the comedy scene here is awful and it sucks and everyone's terrible because it's just an open mic. But once you start going to the clubs and you start kind of advancing in the game, it's really inspiring to work with these people that come from all over the world. Just it's highly do. competitive, so the standards are much higher. It, yeah, but there's also more opportunities. Uh-huh. And so you see people, I see people all the time moving to L.A. and starting in L.A. And you could just instantly find your niche. Because, like, some guys started, I uh, started doing comedy with this guy in L.A. Uh, who is now an intern for Barry Katz. And he's a doorman at the comedy store, and you see the groove he took. And then I know this other girl who did comedy for a year and a half, and now she's doing like small parts on uh, Two Broke Girls. You okay. know? So, yeah, it's just cool. There's just, you know, there's a lot of opportunities down there. And the comedians, pretty inspirational to watch like some of your heroes bomb at the comedy store at midnight, <laughs> you know, but it's cool. I like it there. Oh, cool, man. So, what, what made you move? If you mind me asking uh basically i had a family member with an illness i'm kind of uh, my dad got a little bit sick and uh or a lot that, sick yeah it's okay what, what what was he ill with uh he had a brain tumor oh wow and uh they were able to remove the brain tumor and uh he's doing good like he's gonna he's got they extended his life but he's still not 100 percent. so i've been kind of uh. hanging that's mostly the reason i've been in the bay area for the last three years is just to be with family now did you start comedy in the bay area or did you start comedy in la i started here i did comedy here for like a year and a year. did the typical first year you know where you're only going out to that one place for the first three months what was then, that one place for you uh tommy t's tommy t's in pleasanton i've yet to go there you gotta go. I hear a lot it's, of great stuff about that place. It's it's a very cool little, like, the open mic they have there, especially. It's really fun, like, just because it's uh, it's in the East Bay, so it's not, you don't get that real competitive cutthroat vibe. It's people are just rolling through to have a good time and do sets, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, Kabir will stop by sometimes, and you get some really good comics that'll come by, and it's a contest, so you should stop by. It's a contest. Yeah, they do. Yeah, but it's an open mic. They'll have like 30 comics, and they'll pick the top five at the end. And then Who the picks? The crowd choose. or, or the, the, the judges? The, the club. The club. The yeah. club owners. Yeah. The, the, okay. Well, the, you the know, whoever's working that night. Yeah, so okay. the staff's definitely watching. It's pretty hard to get past it, Tommy's. Uh, it's a club that definitely rewards you showing up there a lot. So if you live nearby, it's real, you know, you can show your face there a lot. I'm not sure if I get wary or if I just get intimidated by the whole idea of a comedy competition. Ah. Like, like I know it's a big deal to to some, right? And I know that you know it's fun to watch. I guess because right. I guess it, and for comedians to prepare for it, but at the same time, like, well, you know, what, what am I really winning here? Mm-hmm. Just because I won, does that really make me funnier? <laughs> but then again, it's like you know, it's a good, I guess, uh, business opportunity. I mean, if you, it's something to add on to your resume, I guess, that you won so and so competition. Right. I think com- like my understanding of like competitions on why comics do it is it becomes like literally like a dick measuring contest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let me just go out there and show you. Like, I think it's something that. Um, like, if you can start winning a lot of contests, uh, 
as a comedian, it's kind of like, look, I'm so good at doing my thing that I can just go into this place flat. Um, like I was talking to Ellis Rodriguez yesterday who just won the San Francisco comedy competition. And what they do with that is it's not just one show. It's, I think it's like maybe 15 shows throughout the whole competition. And some of them are in like little bars with eight people in the audience. And some of them are theaters with 1200 people. So if you have the skill set of telling jokes and performing and you want to be like acknowledged for it on something like as the winner of the San Francisco comedy competition, uh, it's a great way to just throw down and be like, look, I can kill it in a room of eight people. I can kill it in a room of 1200 people. And I think it's really something that you enter into contests when you start feeling real good about your skill set, you know, and then you could start taking down the contests and, you know. But yeah, the contest, like you said, the history of the San Francisco comedy competition, the year Robin Williams competed in it, he only took second place. Well, a lot of famous people who competed in that competition uh, did not win. Right. Uh, I, I know Margaret Cho was one of them. Right. Um, and then there's a history of the people that took first place. You never really hear from them again. <laughs> well, I feel a lot of it, I mean, especially when you're up and coming I think it's easy to let that stuff get to your head right and once it gets to the, the, once ego gets involved I think you'll be off-putting to some people because like most in the entertainment business you it's all about networking and relationships right you know it's something I have to remind myself is like don't be an asshole even if you don't like the person or the situation mm -hmm. you just gotta you know be nice mm. and that's something I learned in film as well it's like right. just be nice you never right. know you never know if down the road you know, the, the so and so is going to help you out, or, right. or the, you know, there's a an opportunity to collaborate. And I think in kind of the same way, you know, there's some people who really gets to their head and they become assholes and dicks, and it's like, but then again, it's like they're good though. So I, I think it's, the, it's that balance, it's, I, I suppose. It's fascinating to watch how you know I've been doing this for almost six years now, stand up comedy. And I've now been able to see the arc of watching people's egos grow and evolve. And you see guys that are really good. Yeah. And uh, being really good, usually you kind of have to have a little bit of an ego. Confidence, little, I think, is the right, right word for it. Right, right. And some people handle it in a way that are beautiful. And mm -hmm. you look at them and go, oh, I love it when this headliner comes around because he's so nice and cool to everybody. And then some people mm -hmm. make it weird every single time. Yeah. Which is weird because in comedy, it's always a hum like you get humbled more. I feel you get humbled more <laughs> than you get you know these victorious sets, right? Which only makes those victorious sets even better when right. you get them, right? Because uh, like in comedy, it's just like uh, MMA fighting. You don't all you could have the best skills in the world. You never really know mm -hmm. if the crowd's gonna be into it or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, completely. There's I I, I run a show. Uh, in San Francisco that's a daytime show right and it's really chaotic uh, it's at the t-shirt place right right yeah. San Francisco a great t-shirt and clothing was company. that yesterday uh, yeah yeah we actually had a show yesterday okay uh, it was really fun but again kind of a tough show because it's daytime people are drinking but it's also outdoors so we have a daytime outdoor show which makes it kind of a difficult show yeah and um comics that are really good struggle on our show <laughs> right i struggle on my own show you know because it's outdoors during the daylight right. oh and we have uh, cannabis vendors at the show and that's gotta help come on 
it helps, but it also distracts from uh-huh. the comedy because people are looking at the little things, the you know, the pre-rolls in their hands and taking bong rips over in the corner and um, so it gives a lot of distractions for the comedians. You know, you gotta really bring your A game on a daylight outdoor only show and so yeah, you watched uh, it's a that's a humbling show for everybody. <laughs> well, I feel for Scotty, it's probably a, a in the open mic scene, it's very humbling as well because I have trouble with uh, for Scotty myself. For Scotty's a tough room. It's ca- it's a cafe. It's right. bright in there, and a lot of people are there to do homework or on their work. Right. And I know a lot of comedians, uh, especially the good ones, uh, sometimes struggle in that room, and, and the <laughs> which has gotten that reputation, you know. But I think it's good. It's diversity. I think it, it really allows you to test out your material to a different kind of crowd. And, uh, yeah, so I could totally relate to you about that. Dude, Friscotti is a really fun room because almost every time I'm there, there's a few audience members sitting up in that little front area. Yeah. Right? There's always somebody to perform for. Uh-huh. You know, even when I'm going up last there, there's usually one or two people, the barista. But what makes it an interesting room is every time I perform there, I forget that there's people upstairs. Yeah. Because they're kind of invisible up there. Yeah. And if you're really having a good set, though, you'll hear some laughs come from up there. Uh-huh. And that's why that room's so rewarding, because I'm like, oh, shit, I just cracked him on audio only. <laughs> you know, there was someone sitting in a corner somewhere, <laughs> and I just cracked him because I was able to suck him into my bit. So that's right. a very rewarding room, but it can be tough. Yeah. And, then, and then you got the baristas banging away with their coffee beans. <laughs> <laughs> Calling out orders. Right. That becomes part of open mic comedy. You know, you just, you're used to blenders going yeah. off and yeah. steaming machines. Um, there's some guys that'll incorporate that into their bits, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you can really be in the moment and you know that the coffee banging just distracted everybody, then that's actually an opportunity, yeah. you know, to comment on that. And I'm it, sure you've seen people fail with riffing on that stuff. And it happens. Success. But well. it's just funny. It's like for you in your room, people get distracted by the marijuana. <laughs> My room, get, they get distracted by the coffee. Right, right. There's always... Anytime... That's why a comedy club, they turn the lights off and put a spotlight on their entertainer because yeah. they're just eliminating distractions, just like a movie theater. Well, there's there's somewhat of a science to it, you know? Right. Like, I remember when I, I was getting... When I was starting for Scotty, naively, when I was, like, not even a year into comedy, I resorted to getting consultation from the other local open micers who okay. had it at their bars... And uh, one of them just told me flat out, I was like, I don't think your open mic is going to make it for long, you know, because it's, you got to dim the lights, you know, it's big space, it's, the, you know, the narrow acoustics. Because in a bar, it's nice and intimate, it's dark, mm-hmm. and you got the, the light specifically on the performer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yeah, and then I looked into it, and there's a, a real science to it. Right. But I'm like, well, I won't do with what, what, what I have and just mold it around what I got and I don't know, we're three years and, and going strong so far. Congratulations. But it just goes to tell you that you know there are certain criteria that I guess helps. Breaking the rules is always crucial to what we're doing. There's no rule book to stand-up comedy. So yeah, like stand-up comedy is most ideal in a comedy club setting. But one of the most successful open mics, I think the Brainwash Cafe in San Francisco, uh-huh. has done an open mic there one to seven nights a week for the last 10 years. Yeah. And it's in a laundromat during daylight with all the wrong, you know, especially in the summertime, it's all the wrong circumstances. And yet people go there and have a great time. Yeah. Like, so you, like, there's certain circumstances that are ideal for comedy. But then again, if comics are showing up and bringing their game and having fun and you have a cool venue and a fun audience, it can work. 
Yeah. And being consistent. I think that's key. Is right. consistency and try to help build a culture around it. Right. Right. Like the brainwash has a reputation behind it. Well, for Scotty and brainwash are similar places in that you can usually find a dozen comics standing outside, <laughs> even though there's a comedy show inside. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're both kind of have that coffee shop vibe to them. And there's always kind of a rotating audience there, uh-huh. which I think is really nice. There was one night I was there. There was uh, like four, uh, what would they be called? Like dot commers. And they were watching the show, and I, I remember the lady walked out, and she was like, oh, we made that show. Because her laughing was so good, and they were clapping for everybody, and it was like, yeah, you did make the, you did make the show. Because mm-hmm. we had four people to perform for that night, and it was a gracious, loving audience, and we all had a good time. Yeah. Eventually, they left, and there was three guys going, ah, oh, don't leave. <laughs> you know, but. So you've been doing comedy for six years now. First year, you started out in the East Bay area, mm-hmm. Tom and T's, you mm-hmm. know, competing and performing there. So why uh, at a year in did you decide to go to L.A.? I, I just fell in love with the idea of comedy and being in L.A. And, you know, I had some opportunities, you know, like you got a relative living down there. You could stay on someone's set, you know, so I had an in and I just went down there. And uh, within three months, I fell in love with L.A. L.A. gets a bad rap. But I really enjoyed just living there. Like, take comedy off the table. They got Disneyland. They got Medieval Times. They got Chick-fil-A's everywhere. They got, like... It's actually just a really fun... There's a lot of... uh, Like, I went to the Troubadour, where the Doors used to perform. You know, you have the Hollywood Bowl. You can never be bored in Los Angeles. There's always something to do, if you have money to do it with. (laughs) But (laughs) I think that's the key factor here, is having the money to do fun stuff. And it's actually a little bit cheaper than it is here to live, and uh, a little more crime and stuff, you know, depending on where you're at. But I like living down there a lot. It's a fun place. And you're over there having a good time, made connections, Mm -hmm. then you move back. Mm -hmm. So how was that transition? Very rough. Because uh, when I moved back here, because of the circumstances of moving back with my dad being sick and everything, I really only thought I'd be here temporarily. And so my mindset when I moved back up here as a comedian, uh, I wasn't like I aggressively hitting the mics like I should and trying to get up at the clubs here like I should have been and fostering relationships with everybody like I should have been because I legitimately thought in my mind, like, oh, I'm just kind of here on a vacation. You know, I'm go. You know, I'm here seeing what's up with my dad. He's gonna have his surgery. I'm gonna like go back to Los Angeles. You know, and then just circumstances. Three months turned into three years, and like a year in, I was still thinking, oh, I'm gonna move back to LA. I'm gonna move back to LA. This is a classic life mistake you can make. And so I wasn't taking the comedy here seriously as I should have. And uh, then once it became like a thing, like okay, I'm gonna be here for a while. Then I had a lot of messes to clean up because when you show up as a comedian, you have to be at your A game every time, even at an open mic. You know, you think, oh, it's just an open mic and it's just a coffee shop and there's just three people watching. But every comedian is in that room assessing your skill level, you know, and these are your peers, the people that are going to book you, respect you. And uh, so I phoned in a lot of mics during that year, that first year I moved back up here. And so people weren't thinking, oh, this is a great comedian. You know, they're thinking, ah, this is a guy who kind of shows up and phones it in. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not taking this seriously, and I wasn't. 
And then, you know, once I realized that I was going to be living here for a while, it was like, all right, let's turn the heat up. Let's write some new jokes and get back out there every night, um, which is where I'm at right now. <laughs> and you, you went farther beyond than the East Bay when you took it seriously, right? Right. Well, that's the thing from the beginning of comedy. Um, I look like how we have a South Bay comedy scene and we have a SAC comedy scene. We have a San Francisco comedy scene. But because I live in the East Bay, uh, it's actually just as much time for me to get to San Francisco, to San Jose, to Sacramento is a little bit further. But it's basically an hour, which you, whichever way. So I would tend to mic, you know, I'll do mics in Modesto, I'll do mics in Sacramento, I'll do mics in San Francisco, I'll do mics in San Jose, and then you get to pick up shows in each one of those towns too. So I, I travel around a lot. Like this week I have, I was only in San Francisco two nights. Tonight I'm in San Jose, I'll find something to do out here, you know, so I, I drive a lot, drive a lot. That's what must be a difficult way of doing things. I mean, you're trying to coordinate, because you, you, that's the thing you want to do is travel an hour only to end up not being able to perform. Uh, that you know happens, yeah, but it's fine because uh, the more venues I check off my belt of places I've performed and the more different situations I can put myself in, the better. Because I'm kind of just uh, really worried about the craft of comedy. You know, that's like really all I think about is what's my act outs like, what's my deliveries like, what's my writing like. You have a specific structure to your jokes, a setup, punchline, tag, tag, tag. And then you go, okay, well, how can I play with that formula and still get laughs without doing a traditional setup? And um, so that's why I like to drive around a lot because uh, a lot of comics are five years in and they're really anxious to get booked. But I feel like maybe i wait a few years, you know, and really work on my craft in the meantime and try to become a headliner first, you know, build up an hour of material instead oh, of doing it 10 minutes at a time. Like I see a lot of people doing it. Of 10 minutes, I, I go five minutes at a time. Right. And that's what <laughs> happens when you stay in one town every yeah. single day. Because you're just around your peers, and you're just, you know, you get very sucked Too into like a routine, you get comfortable with your five minutes, but, you know, I travel around a lot, and so I have jokes that I will never use in San Francisco, and then I have jokes I will only use in San Francisco. So I have material, you know, I'm trying to develop a broad, because performing for a Modesto audience is different than a San Francisco audience. Right, right. You know, they're almost completely different in what they like in terms of material. San Francisco audiences will want things very clever. Uh, they'll laugh at all the pop culture heavy references. Uh, you go out to Modesto, dick jokes. You can't have enough, you know, you know, you can't have enough profane <laughs> material. How, how do you profile San Jose or the South Bay in general? San Jose is in between. In between. <laughs> yeah. A little clever, a little dirty. Right. <laughs> like they will appreciate it a little more clever, but they, I'd say they like it dirtier out here. It's a little more down and dirty. In fact, I watch San Francisco comics. You, you probably see a lot of SF comics come out here yeah. and uh, struggle because their material is so, you know, very sure. tailored to San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find myself that problem myself. I think a lot of, a good amount of my jokes is tailored towards Silicon Valley. Right. This area, which has hindered me when I performed outside. Right, because we start coming up with, hey, I know these jokes jokes are going to work with the dot-comers. You know, uh, San Jose has a heavy Latino population, so you know, okay, these jokes are going to work with this crowd. And you can just literally go through and go, hey, these are my jokes. You know what I mean? 
Now, did it take a while for you to develop this this outlook on your craft, or do you think it evolved? Uh, from the beginning, I was always traveling around a lot because I moved to LA. And where I moved in LA, I didn't just mic them because I realized the mics in Los Angeles are terrible. So I started moving around a lot. And what makes them Long so terrible? Because it's just all the, if you do comedy, open mic comedy right there in LA, there's a lot of actor comedians. There's a lot of waiting in line. That must be annoying. It's all the stuff. That, actor comedians? Oh my God. They're, 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 Once I, a while for Scotty, I get like a theater actor try on comedy. Right. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is just a little cringe worthy. In LA, they're legit like, uh,. They have headshots with them. They're trying to get on CSI. <laughs> oh, fuck. And their agent told them that they would be, like, their career would be better if they could diversify and do some comedy or something. And carry like. their headshots through local comedy open bikes? I've seen it. Jesus I've Christ. Seen it. And so, but in LA, there's also comics that'll be road comics perching, pitching merch at open mics. <laughs> you know, you see it all. But so the quality of the comedy there is tough. Uh huh. But. Pasadena has a great comedy scene. Long Beach has a great comedy scene. Orange County has a great comedy scene. The Inland Empire has a great comedy scene. All the kind of cities that surround Los Angeles itself. And so I would go realize, oh, I could go perform Flappers Burbank would have an open mic and it's all comics. Flappers Claremont would have an open mic on a Sunday night when I lived there and there would legit be 60 people to watch the open mic. Wow. So it's like, oh, if I just drive 45 minutes that way, I could perform for 60 people on a Sunday night. Mm -hmm. So uh, as soon as you realize that, um, I, like, I'm really weird, I, I can perform in front of comics, um, and it's a useful skill to make comedians laugh, but I really want to know what makes the masses laugh. Right. And so that's why, for me, it's always a better use of time instead of maybe going to an open mic that I know all the comedians are gonna be at and I can rub elbows and network and do that kind of thing. Or I could drive an hour, find a mixed open mic nobody knows about. There's a bunch of musicians and poets. I beg them to let me do comedy. I'm the only comedian on the show. Right. And you have 40 people to perform for and they all love you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And but you're I've, gonna be... I've bombed in those situations too though. Yeah. The thing is, like, I, you really got to keep your mouth shut once you find a place like that. Because mm. you don't want the floodgates <laughs> of all these comedians coming over to the mics. And, and you have to do work to find some of these places. Yeah. You know, there's some of these places, uh, yeah. Um, I have a friend, Leroy, who's really good. He'll spend, like, an hour, and he'll Google weird little music open mics that he'll find down on the coast somewhere. You know, just outside of Santa Cruz, and no one knows about it, and we'll go down there and find it. Leroy was your co-producer for the uh, San Francisco show, right? Yeah, Comedy Psychos. The Comedy Psychos. Now, at what point do you start producing shows? Uh, producing shows, I, I probably started producing my first show at about a year and a half into comedy. Um, I ran a couple open mics, but then when I was living in Pasadena, I wanted to produce some shows because there was such amazing comics down there, and you can get to them. I just wanted to be able to throw shows with Sam Tripoli and Jackie Cation, and we used to get a lot of really cool comics on our shows down there. But producing shows, probably about a year and a half in, I started doing that. It's something you, if you're playing the game, the local game of you know, networking and stuff. You really want to produce a show. You give yourself stage time, but you also get to book people and bring them on, let them see you perform, and um, sometimes they'll put you on their shows, things like that. 
But do you feel like you learned a different element to the business by doing that? Right. That's more producing comedy. It's basically a, um, within the scene. You are making a statement when you start producing shows. Like, yeah, I'm in the business now. You know, I'm taking this seriously. I want to move forward. And uh, I've learned a lot about the business. This last show I've been producing, the Comedy Psychos with Leroy uh, at Sanford Psycho, because it is an outdoor show and it is during the daytime. We've learned a lot about who to book, who not to book. Um, those kind of shows, like you start to learn about the professionalism of the comedians, because the comics we booked yesterday were all completely professional they showed up on time if they were running later all at all we were getting texts like hey i'm on my way i'm looking for parking um they did their jobs if they consumed any substances it didn't affect their performance oh yeah and that's another was, thing too you got to worry about is if this guy you know smokes up now is he willing to perform is he right, able to perform right and we did one show where we had booked a couple comics and we told them, look, it's a tough show. We have like, it's standing room only. It's outdoors. It's daylight. We need you to bring your A game. And he showed up and the minute he showed up, he was like, oh man, last night I got so drunk. I'm so hungover right now. And right away we were like, me and my, me and Leroy looked at each other and like, this guy's not going to have a good set. And certain, certainly sure enough, he went up and he didn't have a good set because he didn't have that mindset of a professional. Yeah. You know, so we've learned, like, yeah, you learn about the business. It's like, oh, as a comedian, you need to show up to these shows ready to go. Mm-hmm. And you got to deliver the goods. And if you don't have a great set, but you tried really hard and showed up, I'm going to be a lot more forgiving than the guy that I book on my show that I work really hard to promote. I do a lot of work to get everyone, the hundred people out there. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of work to get that many people into your show. And then this guy shows up hungover, probably stoned, you know, and you're just like, oh, come on, bro. Yeah. So, yeah, the business side, when you start producing shows, that's something that you just never think of as a comic. You know, you're just, like, focused on your own game. But once you start producing shows, you really start looking at comics and you're like, okay, I really think this guy's talented. You know, that's why I put anyone on my show. But are they going to show up sober? Are they going to show up with their A game? Are they going to show up with a positive attitude? Because that's the other thing that I've been noticing producing these bigger shows mm-hmm. is uh, there's an attitude where comics show up, like, very blasé. Yeah. Very much like, oh, this is just another show I'm doing. And they stand and they look at their phone and they don't watch the show at all. And, you know, you kind of think, wow, I just put you on, like, a really exciting show that I did a lot of work to produce, you can at least show excitement to be here. It's, it's disheartening, <laughs> you know, like, you know? It's, especially with, with all, you know, the stuff you had to deal with putting it together, right? you know, with the owners of the place and promising, right. you know, this and that. Right. It's very disheartening, you know, right. I had similar situations in, in for Scotty and over the years I learned to just, you know, process it differently because I used to be really mad and I would hold you grudges. Let, right, no, yeah, you like, can't you, do that. At a certain yeah. point you're like, you know what, you just need to learn fast and just let it go and move on to the next thing and and just keep in mind you know certain people who you know would be a certain way like you said it's exactly what i've been doing is i'm not judging i'm not getting mad like that comic that showed up hung over and stoned to my big my big show whatever you know i wasn't mad at him i love the guy i booked him because i like him yeah you know but i'm probably never booking him again 
Yeah. You just get that attitude like, hey, I love that guy. I'm probably not putting, I'll put him on some bar show I'm producing down the road, you know, but I'll never put him up against a hundred people again. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you just, and that's um, actually the exact same mistake that I made the first year I moved here. You know, I got put on some shows, showed up stoned and hung over, whatever it is. You know, I'm not that much of a smoker. Usually for me, it's hung over, you know, but um, yeah, and you're just not taking it seriously. And then people look at you. And so, yeah, you start to learn. You start to see the mistakes other people make and reflect that upon yourself and go, I've made that mistake. Yeah. You know, I need to learn and do it and be more professional. Well, I think it takes you. And that's why I tell a lot of comics is like, produce your own show, man, your own open mic or your own showcase because right. then you'll realize where I'm coming from right uh, and you know I'm having a similar problem in a, in a different you know I, you know, I'm working on a, on, a, on the web series right now you know I, I stayed up nights working on the script and right. just finalizing everything right and finally I get the last you know 10th draft of the, of the script and I show it to a couple of friends who are comedians to act in it and they look at the script and they're like, cool, I want to improvise my lines, though. <laughs> well, fuck you. You didn't stay up all night writing these lines. And your lines that you're improvising are now taking it a different, in a different direction. Yeah. Like, no, the comedic yeah. beat, like, this is a dramatic moment. This yeah. is not time to improvise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so but it's funny how you have to deal with that. Uh, how do you usually deal with it now, though? Like, if you there's a shitty comic you book, how do you process that now? Now I just, if I put him up and he's having a bad set, he's probably getting his time cut. <laughs> you know, I'll promise you 10 minutes. But if you're up there and you're just, you know, not having the right attitude and you're not having a good set, I'm probably going to light you early. Give him a, mer a mercy light? Right. That's or, what I call it now. A mercy light's a nice way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, for Sky, when I just know this guy's just not doing well right. up there. And it's going to be, and uh, there's also this risk with comedy where when comics are bombing, that's when the bad stuff happens. That's when words that aren't supposed to be said are said. That's when crowd work that should never be done is done. <laughs> that's right. Because they want to dig out of a hole. They know they're bombing. So that's when they go, you, sir, are you in a relationship? And yeah. then the, you know, the next thing you know, your show is fucked. <laughs> People are mad. They're walking out. So sometimes that mercy light is a mercy light for the show and for the comedian. Yeah. I, I mean, I know... Uh, it, 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 Especially your friends, you know when they're when they're bombing, even if it's subtle. Like uh, my good friend Faco. Oh, I love that know? guy. I love that guy, but yeah. I know he's he's, he's going to start to bomb when he starts complimenting me. <laughs> like well, once he's on stage, going like, "Hey, give it up for Jorge! Why isn't he a great guy?" Then I'm like, "Okay, this guy, he's having trouble." Uh -huh. <laughs> That's the side. Right. Right. Well, you start getting real good at yeah. seeing how comics are stretching <laughs> and looking for something. And... Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I love Flacco. He runs a fun show at a, a, a again a tough show. Yeah, that's a tough show. Because that's a great it's a show. It's a coffee though. shop. It's well lit. There's tough sound, and everyone's sober. You know, usually yeah. performing for drunk people is the easiest thing. Yeah, because they're yeah. punchy. You know, but that's a fun show. So again, it doesn't have to be perfect comedy lighting and drunk people, and you know, you can have a great show at a coffee shop. Yeah, and the key thing is to have a good time. Good time, because the crowd could tell when you're having a good time. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important things about comedy is if you're up there having fun, they're going to have fun. And the fun doesn't have to man itself itself in a smile. Like Anthony Jeselnik doesn't smile a lot when he's on stage, but you can tell he's having fun. Mm -hmm. He's enjoying this. And I feel like um, it's always interesting to watch performers that have lost their passion for comedy and they're up there on a show and you could tell they're not enjoying this 
Like they're phoning it in. They're struggling through it or they have so much anxiety about doing well that they're... Um, that's a mistake I used to make uh, on comedy competitions. Uh, last year I did two. I did Rooster Tea Feathers comedy competition and I did the San Jose Improv comedy competition and I wanted it bad. I wanted to place, I wanted my peers to see, look how good I am, all of that. And I kind of wanted it so bad that when I got up there, I wasn't enjoying the actual performances that I had on those two nights. Because oh. I was like, oh, I have to do well. I had all this internal pressure on myself, like, oh, you got to run circles around your competition. Uh, you know, you the wrong mindset. Yeah. What I should have done those nights is just treated it like any other show. Yeah. Showed up, had a good time with my set. If I win, I win. If not, there's always next year. Yeah. You know, that was the attitude I should have had. And the guys that succeeded on those nights had that attitude. It's a mind game, man. It's really because, again, you distract yourself. You can distract right. yourself so easily. Right. And, like, right. it really fucks up your set. Right. It could be the smallest things. Right. And meanwhile, all we have to do is just have fun up there. Yeah. And everyone's going to look at us and be like, oh, oh, this guy's great. You know, he's having a good time. Oh, that joke was bad, but oh, we like him. Mm-hmm. Or we like that he's having fun. It's pretty simple, really. Mm-hmm. You know, if we just end. But there's a lot of comics that are successful that don't seem to be having any fun. Like Louis C.K., it doesn't seem like he's having a lot of fun in any part of his life, you know, on stage or off. Well, he, so. he, he, he did a great move. And this is where I find inspiration in that. You could tell he moves on to different projects to rekindle that passion right. in films or right. in, in, in web series or in TV shows. Right. I, I think, uh, I, I mean, I can't speak for, for all comics, but I, I think there comes a point where you kind of plateau. Like for me, I, I've gone through a lot of waves in mm-hmm. comedy. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm excited for it, but then I plateau, I get right. too comfortable. Right. Then I go down, I just feel shitty about it, and then I get something else that re inspires me. It comes in a wave. Mm-hmm. But what helps me with that is I get involved with different stuff playing music, working on films, uh, podcasting. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I think uh, after a while of doing something, you just get a little tired of it. Right. And you, right. you just got to somewhat, you know, rekindle it. And what you're doing though, which is so smart, and I've noticed a lot of successful comics do this, like people will look at um, some of the early podcasters like Joe Rogan and uh, the guys that got like successful comedy careers, Mark Maron Mm -hmm. is a better example, more analogous to you. Uh, Mark Maron, okay. He was okay as a comic, but he also had this other skill set where he knew how to do the radio stuff, and he knew how to plug microphones into a computer and hit record, and he knew how to do all that. So he was able to use that, like, hey, I have multiple skills, and forward himself in his career. So your music will come in handy, the podcasting will come in handy, the filmmaking will all come in handy, and the stand-up comedy will come in handy. Hopefully, And they'll all (laughs) complement each other. And you're going to know people in four different fields instead of just the one. And uh, a lot of comics make that mistake of just only doing comedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's say I'm in an open mic or a show and I'm getting that moment that every comic dreams about. Like, oh, there was somebody important in the audience and I killed it. And now they want to talk to me and be like, hey, I want to represent you. And then they go, what do you have? And you say, I have 10 minutes, or I have an hour of material. 
But what you need to say to those agents is, oh, I have an hour of material, and I also have two pilots for TV shows, and I have a script written, mm -hmm. and I have a comedy album. And then they go, oh, shit, I want to sign you for sure. You know, here's a $100,000 development deal, because we already know that you've done the work. You've got these two pilots. You know, one's a sci-fi show, the other's about waiters in a restaurant. Ah, oh, you know, this guy's great. So it's the, our extracurricular activities with our comedy that we'll actually need if we make it. You need to continue building content, <laughs> essentially. Right, right. Yeah. So that the minute you make it, okay, so someone discovers you at a club, oh, what are you going to go do? Be in someone else's movie? And try to be like, hey, look, I'm the funny guy in this one scene with Kevin Hart and The Rock in this movie. Or are you going to go try to make your own movie and just be the star of your own show? Right. You know, and have your own content. Cause it, especially in the internet age. it's I think it's hard to really... Uh, I mean, we romanticize, you know, the, the comedians who are already big now. Right. But it was just a different era of, of you know, of gaining success. Right. It was back when clubs was a real business to have around and... And having specials and stuff like that, but now with the internet age, it, things are a lot faster, and so much diverse. Right. So it's like a, it's a different element. I don't think some people even realize that what you're really going up against, because right. not only are you competing with that other comedian who's in the club with you, but you're com you're, you're you're competing with the comedian who who's doing it in YouTube, doing web videos, or who's doing web yeah. videos, or that yeah. comedian who's who's doing the podcast. It's like it's weird because I remember uh, start. I think it was in film where they're like, you know, be good at least at one thing. Right. But then I was like, over time, it's like you can't really go with that mentality anymore. You need to be good with several things. You know, like they tell you, you know, you could be a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Right. But I feel the future is you have to be a master of all of them. Right. In some way. So at right. least have a good gist of all of them. Right. Or uh, at least a knowledge of the inter like if we're comedians we're in the entertainment business so we should have a knowledge of how studios work how t you know tv production works you mm -hmm. should know like for example we're comedians but let's say you get that tv gig there's all those little rules like even though i'm having a conversation with you if the camera was to the right i'm supposed to kind of talk to you like with my head at an angle toward the camera sure yeah. you know and all those little rules that you're gonna definitely pay off and you need to know even if it's just like hey i finally got on david letterman you know or letterman's not even that shows my age <laughs> you know what i mean but yeah, i finally yeah. got my spot on a late night show Conan. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh now i'm looking weird on tv because i don't know how to sit and stand and i don't know how to do that like canned interview process that's where this stuff is great practice, especially yeah. for you, because you're going to be so good at being comfortable with the cans and the mics and the, <laughs> you know what I mean? That you're, you go into a radio station. This is why I like you, Brian, because you, you know to call these things cans. Because usually when I have guests on, I'm like, hey, put on the cans. And they're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, the headphones. But yeah, man, it's like the old you know radio term, the cans. Totally. Yeah, the, the that's the old school. Yeah, yeah. right. So. Now, explain to me something, though. Um, I'm going to bring this up. When I first met you, you came for Scotty and came in a group, mm. and you guys called yourself the Laugh Gang. Uh -huh. What's the deal with that? Like, how, how, how did that even work? Like, was, was that a marketing tool or something? Kind of. Because I gotta admit that when you say you're part of the Laugh Gang, a part of me was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Put it. 
It was basically me and three other comics started comedy together. And um, I was kind of always more of like an honorary Laugh Gang member. Because it was really David Namiar, Mark Smalls, Andrew Arafo. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all were friends and were hanging out and doing comedy together in the Bay Area immediately, right? But very early into the life of the Laugh Gang, I moved to L.A., Oh. Okay, so I was living down there, doing my thing, making new friends, meeting new people, and they were all up here in a car together. You know, we were all working hard just in different places, but those guys were up here in a car together for, you know, the whole two years I was in L.A., making different connections and networks up here and uh, forming a bond. And, you know, and then when I moved back up here, uh, I started resuming things with those guys but we really didn't know each other that well mm. you know like or I so got awkward know them as much as they knew each other right I guess you could say because yeah they'd already had this bonding experience and then there's just like the people you gravitate toward in life like there's certain kinds of people they would gravitate to um, were different than the people I would gravitate to so for example during that time period where you might have seen me showing up to mics with those guys they'd be hanging out with one set of people you know what I mean and I'd be like wow these people are nice but not my favorite and but there's <laughs> these people over here that I really like right. and they don't like these guys I don't like the guys they're you know what uh, I mean like it's some kind of comedy beef politics it, bullshit not, not even pop beef it's just who you like to spend your time with right you know what I mean? Whose company do you enjoy? Who do you have fun when you're talking to? Now, here's like, why I bring it up. For example, I really love talking to Faco. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a dude I love talking to. So when I go Who to does a not line, like talking to Faco? I want to talk to Faco forever. Yeah. And so maybe... Well, I don't know about forever. <laughs> yeah, so maybe let's say you show up at a mic with... Yeah, yeah it'll get weird at some point. Yeah. But let's say you show up at a mic with uh, David Stolowitz, who I know is friends with Faco, but for whatever reason... He wants to go talk to other people. You know what I mean? It's just a weird whatever. You know, like it, there's a. You just gravitate toward different people, different shows, different things. We just drifted a lot. And when I moved back, we didn't know each other that well. Hmm. You know, and then. Now, uh, the reason why I ask is because that was the first time I, I, uh, I learned or I found out that there's people who, who I guess, form their own group. Right. And, and, and branded the group. Right, right. And I, I wasn't sure how that really worked in comedy. Because, again, I was like, well, everybody knows each other in some ways. Uh, it, it's um, it's not really a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, team-based sport. Right. But, in, but, but forming teams even in this individual sport. It's like the Olympics. You know what I mean? Like, you're all track and field or whatever like so those runners are individual but you're still part of the u.s team yeah <laughs> so when you guys told me that i was the first I was like oh i didn't know this thing was a thing right like, I'm, i wasn't sure if it's even beneficial or how it worked it started off with um just like hey we'll call ourselves this group and we'll all form up and be a team and learn things together and produce shows together and make comedy together and yeah it got branded and pictures were taken and Art like drawings were made out of the logos <laughs> of our faces and um, yeah so my idea for what it could have been you know something like that is you get four comics together and you run shows together and you get good at comedy together and you know you uh, 
Yeah, it's like a band, I guess, except each band member goes up and plays at a different time. <laughs> you know? Well, but that's what I'm saying is, do you think that could really work in comedy? No. No, I don't think... I think comedy is a very solo, individual pursuit. So you can have business partners. Like right now, like there's the people I produce Comedy Psychos with um, are friends. Uh, we like each other. Uh, but... Um, it's very much like at the end of the day we're still just all separate comics and we have separate careers and separate lives when you like stand-up comedy the opportunities that are available to one person aren't available to the group right you know so you're gonna be split up by the nature of how things work like let's say we're all friends uh you and me are great friends we're best friends every day we're hanging out we're partying for four years we have our ourselves called the you know the, the martin the martin gang or whatever you know <laughs> like um and um you're gonna get a job on saturday night live as a writer in new york i'm gonna get a job in la you know what i mean and it's gonna be just different careers different opportunities um and also you gotta really get along well yeah you know. which is hard when you're in a group and you have that where you're each I guess jealousy becomes a thing because people you know get opportunities in different times of their lives right. some sooner than others some right. you know take longer than others right. and I couldn't imagine if you're in a group that's only going to build some tension well yeah and there's competition you know like with the, with the group I was in with the laugh gang and there's very competitive mm-hmm. you know so um, so no more gangs for you no no, no more gangs. It's just me being cool ass dude trying to get as good at comedy as he can, you know. Um, but that being said, I'll still partner with people and produce shows and do things. And I mean, because I'm a social creature, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it, I like I like having people around. I like having friends. Did you grow uh, up in a in a big family? Not really. I had two brothers. Two brothers. Are you in the middle or? Are you- yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In some ways, I knew that, because I'm a middle <laughs> child myself. Ah, right, right. And in some ways, we tend to be the more social one. Right, right. Because, you know, we, uh, you know we, we don't get that, that much uh, attention, because you know, there's the older one, and there's the baby. Mm-hmm. So, I guess we kind of put a, the responsibility on ourselves to find uh, uh, social people on the outside. Right, right. And it's just, I, I find that... Was it all brothers? Yeah. Yeah, no sisters. How about you? How was that dynamic? Uh, it was interesting. I kind of wish I had a sister. You Why? Know, just to teach me more about the... Like, guys that have sisters uh, generally have a leg up on the psychology of women. I, I have an older sister. I don't know if that's true. You don't think it's helpful? Well, not, not, not to me, at least. <laughs> not to me. And, and how much older than you? Than uh, two years. Two years? Okay, so you're pretty close in age. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, but uh, you, do you have a relationship with her, like where you can ask her for advice, like, "Hey, this one girl's ghosting me. What can I do?" Or, like, I feel like that's where have you been ghosted? Handy by women? Not really. Yeah. I'm usually the ghost. <laughs> you ghosted? <laughs> yeah, I'm bad. I'm bad Why is that? that? Are you just picky? Um, I've been trying to figure out what that is about me, because <laughs> like when I moved up here, I ghosted a really great girl. Yeah, you know who was into me. I liked her. Um, but I just, uh, like I said, no more gangs, no more groups, no more couples, ships. Like, I guess I'm just, I, I like doing my own thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's usually when I'll ghost a girl is when, you know, it's time to like 
take it to any kind of commitment level or any kind of, you know yeah. like it's hard especially as a comic it's hard I remember she used to get mad at me because I want to go do comedy every night yeah and she'd be like well when can we have a Netflix and chill night and I'd be like well we can have Netflix and chill afternoons <laughs> you right. know but at night I gotta go do my thing it's kind of tough to explain to someone who's not familiar right with the, with the right. comedy game and then she'd see me so I so she'd say well let me go to the mics with you and I'd say okay you can come to the mics with me well, I made that mistake right <laughs> Right. Invite him to showcases. I don't know about open mics. Uh, even shows, you want to you want to make sure, and you better kill it if you're new in the relationship. Fortunately, that girl, I was having really good sets. Uh-huh. I was always comfortable and confident to perform in front of her and with her later. But you know, it was like you have to. Um, yeah, it's tough, man. I think uh, I think for any advice for people in relationship is. Invite them only to showcases. <laughs> exactly. And try to explain to them that when you go to the open mics, it's, it's practically you going to the gym. Right. You know, like some guys go to the gym to work out. That's what an open mic is. Right. Exactly. And you don't need to be around the swinky, stinky, sweaty gym. You know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is, exactly. Yeah. So it can be very, very tricky to have a relationship and be a comedian. I've narrowed it down to you can date waitresses. You could date strippers, or you could date musicians. Uh, I, I don't think I could date a musician. I, I don't, like, um, I, dude, I, like I said, I think I'm having a, a similar problem uh, as you when it comes to relationships. Sometimes I, I get into my head, and I just don't communicate well, right. or prefer not to communicate at all. Right. Um, but I don't think I ever ghosted somebody. Well, the only reason why I, w- I would ghost somebody, I think, is for noble reasons. I think a breakup. Right. I think that's 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 something I learned early on. It's like the best way to get over someone is you need to cut them off completely, even if it hurts, because you need to build that time to build up yourself and, right, and move on to things. Right. But now with the digital age, I, I remember the last person, and she broke up with me, but I, I cut her off from Facebook and Twitter and all that, mm-hmm. you know, and she got really pissed off about it. You know, like although it was pretty clear that we're not we're not together, together but they, I still want to be able to torture you with my posts. <laughs> I wouldn't say torture necessarily, but I think it's such a big deal to a lot of people these days of be, being social media connected, even if you don't get along with somebody. And right. I think when you unfriend someone, it's such a huge deal to some people. I didn't understand what a big deal that was until the last couple of years. Yeah, it's a huge deal because I'm 43. So I had a good portion of my life with no internet and I've always been resistant. Like I'm that guy where I had to get talked into getting a Facebook, Yeah. you know what I mean? And I use it for comedy, but I don't post a lot, uh-huh. you know, and, it, and I'm not looking at a lot of stuff on there. And so it is a social media is a big deal to the next generation, a big, big deal. And when you unfriend someone, I guess it is like the biggest fuck you. It's a bigger fuck you than if I walked up to you in person and said, fuck you to your face. <laughs> you know, like unfriending you would be worse kind of to somebody. Exactly. Kid. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I know, I've known people uh, in my life who, you know, I've had conflict with. And one person in particular, I remember the one thing that they really were upset about was like, why did you unfollow me on Instagram? That's pretty much what I got, yeah. That's the thing (laughs) that you're choosing to be upset about is the Instagram followership? (laughs) Like, we got, like, serious beef. And you're going to be upset that I unfollowed you on social media. So it is a big deal, I guess, to the younger kids. Um, 
And so now I'm learning how to respect that. And it just all that did was made it so much harder for me to hit accept on friend requests. Because you're a lot more pickier now? <laughs> it's weird. Like, I am. Like, I kind of, as a comedian, first of all, I have this rule where I got to meet you three times. Oh. Because there's a lot of going on on my Facebook because I'm old and it's hard for me to manage. There's a lot of people on Facebook that I'm friends with, you know, that I've met once. Especially like that I met once in L.A. when I was doing comedy down there. Some comic, oh, hey, we're friends tonight. Let's friend each other. Never saw them again. You know what I mean? So now it's like, okay, and now those people are clogging up my feed with their political posts and their whatever they're crying about today, you know, and then um, you got to, like, unfollow them so you, they're not coming up in your feed. And so now it's just like before I'm friending someone, I'm like, oh, I want to make sure I just know you. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, so I don't know if that's the right way to negotiate social media in 2017. Yeah. But I'm just like, before I accept the friend request or send one, I want to make sure that I actually know this person. Yeah, and um, that way it just stays a lot more. I don't have to unfriend anyone down the line and piss them off. <laughs> you know, cause, Well, another funny thing is how much people would threaten to block someone. That's you the know? weird thing. That's the when you see what <laughs> narcissists people are. Well, on top of that, it's like you can't really police, uh, you know, social media. I mean, right. they go like, if anybody posts this or that, I'm unblocking. If you feel about this, it's like, well, who? You don't, you know, just block them if they're bothering you. There's no right. point of putting that third out there. It's kind of right absurd. Right. It's the the soapboxing on Facebook is one of the hardest things for me to deal with um, because I do know a diverse variety of people. So literally, my Facebook feed, I'm seeing everyone's conflicting opinions. Yeah, same <laughs> all here. All day long. Yeah. You know, so there's one person on there just trumpety Trump, 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 and then there's another person on there going kill Trump, kill Trump, kill Trump, and you're just like, whoa, like you know, this is all just. And then I, when I do click on the articles. I'm like, did you even read what you just posted? Because I just read that shit. And it was like, first you look at the source of what some of these people are sharing. Yeah. And it's not a reputable news source. Yeah. It's someone's opinion with a headline that looks like a fact that agree. It, yeah, the fake news, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's all clickbait. Right, and the clickbait. And the, but I think it's so funny when people are like, I'm going to block you. Like, that's where you're like, oh, boy, do you have an ego. <laughs> Like, you know, I block, I don't really block people I unfriend, especially though, you know, because it's just like, whatever, I, I don't know you, I don't need the, this, you know, like unfriending, yeah. I, I, but I didn't understand what a slight that is. Yeah. You know, like yeah. now I know, now I'm a little bit, now when I unfriend somebody, I know what I'm doing. I remember, <laughs> I remember there was a time where I, I just going through contacts that I just did not, was familiar with and I unfriended one. And then, like, months later, I hear back from her, like, a private message. It's like, why did you unfriend me? Uh, and I'm like, ah, we don't talk. We don't know each other, really. Right. But right. I felt bad, because right. I guess it was, she made it a big deal. It's like, okay, right. I, I guess. So, okay, I was like, oh, my bad. It must have been a mistake. I don't know. And I guess it works a lot easier, because most of the people I'm unfriending, by the way, are comedians that I just don't know. <laughs> And mostly open micers. You know, right. there's definitely an influence there where I'll look at, a, you know, who you are, you know. Like, there's some people, I remember them once, and I remember they were terrible at this open mic, and I see they're only going out one night a week. I'm just like, off my off my list. And then there's certain people, uh, there's a what I call comedy cancer. Oh, what is that? 
Um, it, it happens only online. Okay, comedy cancer only exists online. Is it contagious? It very, very. So I guess it's more of a comedy STD. <laughs> well, if it's a cancer, it's it's terminal. Right. And well, and it ruins people's careers because there's comics that I will never book. I've unfriended them, and I will never fuck with them for good or for bad. Like I'm never gonna do anything to mess their game up or get in their way. I'm not that kind of person. But I will just never work with them. If I'm booked on the same show as these people, fine. But there's this evil thing that happens on Facebook where uh, comedians attacking other comedians. Oh. I guess I'll just put it that way. For any variety of reasons. Putting comedy beef out on on Facebook. Right. And so the most noble kind is when it's public for everyone to see. The most cowardly way is when you're trolling and there are a lot of comedian trolls and coincidentally enough none of them are killing the comedy game you know what I mean so it's easy to unfriend those people those trolls you look at them and you go you produce one show somewhere that may or may not be great and that's it you're not past at any clubs like none of these trolls are really killing the comedy none of them are going to be on comedy central ever because they're spending their time trolling people but there's secret groups you know that people are talking you know saying bad things about other comedians behind their backs and then there's the one attacking each other in public and for me that to go back to the beginning of behaving professional so it's showing up to shows professional and ready to go what you know um, with the right attitude and then conducting yourself professionally online you know so a lot of things I'll see comedians say to each other online I'm like, I would never say that to another human being, you know, even in person, Uh you know, and I would never say that about another human being because it's so easy to forget these are people when you're click, 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 clicking and saying your bad words and dissing people and attacking people. Like, it's so easy to forget that, oh, there's someone that you might have just made cry on the other line of that. Or there's somebody whose career is just as important to them as it is to you. And just because you don't like some aspect of them, you're going to attack them publicly. So that um, that just is because I want to do comedy forever. I want to minimize that in my comedy career. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as the possible. The negativity? Right. That's so tough, man. There's so, plenty of it in the comedy, though. Right. <laughs> and unfortunately, it will suck me down. I, I thrive on positive energy, and when I'm around positive people, I become more positive, and I love that. And when I'm around negative people, I find it hard to stay positive. You know, that's the thing I'm working on within myself, to be a rock within my own, so I can be surrounded by negative people and still have a positive attitude. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know how you do it, man. Because comedy, I feel stand-up, especially on a local level, in any place. It is the easiest, fastest way a negative person can express themselves. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, learning a song. You gotta write that down. To... That's a great quote. So you're, you're always dealing with these kind of people everywhere you go. Right. And you have this great, you know, almost Buddhist way of looking at things. It's like, I, I'm, I'm admiring you right now because uh, I don't know how you do it. Thank you. It's, it's hard. Not, I'm not always positive when I go out to Mike, you know. It's really... Um, you know, it's really, uh, those are the nights where I don't go out. 
you know, I've learned to take a night off too in comedy because I've been doing it for long enough where I've gone out seven nights a week for long enough where I'm like, ah, you know what, I'm in a bad mood tonight. I'm going to go see a movie. Yeah. I'm going to go see Dunkirk or whatever. And Again, go, I, I mentioned that. I, I like, I go in waves. You know, sometimes I get really inspired and go full out and that's just I got to slow it down because mm-hmm. I know if I'm just not having a good time anymore. I know I'm only just fucking it up, not just for myself, but the people around me. Right. Right. That's that's the thing that I think we all forget is one person in a bad mood can ruin an open mic because everyone they interact with is just going to spoil everything just a little bit more. And I and we are. That's a good thing to mention is when we're going out and we're not in the right mindset, we're not just ruining it for ourselves, but we are kind of ruining it for everyone else. Mm-hmm. There's an audience that's going to have to sit through five minutes of our bullshit there's people that are going to come away from us going, Ugh, you know, that person's not fun to be around, or that was a bad interaction. Yeah. yeah. And but I try to keep it down to a minimum, because at the same time, you want to stay within the pulse of what's going on. Right. And so on It's like really that. hard for me to take a night off of comedy. Yeah. Really hard, because I do just enjoy, like, the, the process. Like, I like showing up, especially when I go new places. I love going someplace I've never been before. And accept, assessing the scene and learning to meet the people there and figuring out the cool quirks about this bar or nightclub. or um, I thrive on that. I love that. So there's always this aspect when I walk into a movie theater at six years of doing comedy. I like to sit toward the front of the theater. Um, there's always an aspect of me where I look up and I see that there's an audience. <laughs> you just want to jump up there? And I just, I'm like, why am I sitting here watching this movie? <laughs> when there's a crowd here, give me a spotlight and a mic, let me do 10. <laughs> Hell, I'll do, I'll do the entire 90-minute show. Yeah. You know, but... Um, it's like a reflex now for you, huh? Right. So You see like, a crowd, you're like, that's it? I'm, I'm, I'm in the mood. And I don't want to be in that crowd. Yeah, yeah. That's the really tough thing since performing is... No, it's like, no, I should be in a green room. I should be backstage, you know, like it, it's awkward for me to sit in a crowd now. And I never saw that coming, you know, but yeah, it's weird for me to sit in a crowd. I'm like, why really? do you think that is now? That's interesting. I'm the entertainer, not the audience, mm-hmm. you know? So when you entertain so much and you're used to entertaining and you enjoy entertaining and it's the thing you want to do, it is as frustrating to get put in the crowd because <laughs> you're just like, Ew. it's supposed to be up there. Hmm. Supposed to be doing that, I guess. All right, Brian. It's been a, it's been an hour. Cool. It's great talking cool. to you, well, man. Went by fast. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It's, I think it's the longest that we ever talked to each other. <laughs> you know? I think so too. Because every time we we meet, you know, I'm, I'm you know trying to work on the open mic. You know, right. For Scotty. Right. We're, we're it's actually hard things. to get to know each other in comedy unless you're in a car together and do that kind of thing. Even then. Yeah. Yeah, so it was fun. I felt like I actually got to know you a little bit. Oh, hopefully for the better. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm actually inspired. Uh, I hope you do well with all the different art forms coming together to create one great product. And likewise for you. And I, and I hope uh, you can uh, be positive as yeah, long as you can. Right. Positive energy. Let's stay positive. So uh, tell the listeners, uh, what you got cooking up? You got any shows, any websites, anything going on? They can check out your stuff. Right now, just the next big thing is uh, we're gearing up for December 2nd. We're going to have a very special uh, December holiday show at San Francisco in the city. 
so that's all I can say but we're gonna have some great comedians coming out and we're gonna have a special holiday theme we're gonna give everyone blankets to wrap up and watch the show and it's gonna be just a really fun casual fun comedy show so. and the comedy show is called Comedy Psychos Comedy Psychos and the next one is on December 2nd December 2nd what part of San Francisco is it located? Uh, it's in the inner sunset uh, so it's actually a real nice part of San Francisco yeah it's by the suburbs right? right Right. Interesting. So it's actually just north of the uh, SF State. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a cool part of town where it's uh, expensive and fun, and <laughs> the weather's always nice. Well, I think that comes with the title of being uh, a show in San Francisco as being expensive. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And and uh, the place that it hosts the venue is it called Comedy Psycho? It's called San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, and okay. they're a really great lifestyle company, but they do a lot of shirts and clothing and hats, and uh, their products are really cool and really fashionable. Like, I personally wear a lot of their stuff, so it's really cool. All right, Brian, thanks for awesome. coming by. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, we're good, right? Yeah. All right, cool. From the reminder to check out the JMS Podcast Patreon account. Please donate. If you can't donate, at least share this JMS Podcast around on social media. And it, just recommend it around. I could use all the help I, I can get. And I, I really hope to keep these things going. That's it for this week. Till next week, have a happy Halloween. Have a great, spectacular night. Or nights. I mean, everybody's dressing with costumes like all weekend. And Halloween's not till Tuesday. Anyway, that's a whole different rant. Point is, is have a good one. See you guys next week. Looking forward to it already. I got a high-profile musician coming over. And uh, I'm really excited. So take it easy. Have a good night. <laughs>